0: Hi, thanks for listening. This is Jonathan Burke with the Advanced Org of the Great Plains. Uh, This is our first show of 2017. We haven't had a show since, uh, what, probably May of 2010. Uh, We kind of set it aside. It was really hard to find people to do interviews with. Frankly, I couldn't get anybody to say yes to an interview. Uh, A lot of things have changed in the field since then. A lot more people out. Stranger and stranger things going on with the Church of Scientology itself. Uh, The field is booming, more OTs, more clears being made probably than ever before, and we're going to get things rolling again with some more radio shows in 2017. Our first show tonight is going to be with Mark Schreffler, our very special guest. Mark has a long history as a disseminator in Scientology and outside of Scientology. He's disseminated to tens of thousands of people over the years and gotten many, many people into Scientology inside the church and is now outside the church himself. And this will open our first conversation with Mark of two. And the first question will be asked by Carrie Todd.
1: Hi, Mark. Let's start at the beginning. Could you give us a little information about yourself and what got you into Scientology to begin with, please?
2: I'd be happy to, Carrie. It's nice to be here with you guys again. Um, I I went to... Uh, well, grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, home of the atomic bomb, and like all, all the other young men there, I I grew up wanting to blow stuff up. So when I, when I got to high school and college, I spent them in military school in southern New Mexico, and um, had a wonderful time there, great time, but I had a, a few epiphanies about the fact that we were basically learning how to kill people. Mm, (laughs) And I was like, this really isn't my purpose in life. So I I went in a very different direction when I got to college, studied philosophy, psychology, and anthropology. And um, very heavy course load. I finished that and went to India for a couple of years. Had some wonderful experiences there. Some of the people that I met were quite fantastic. And um, uh, I had some experiences that left me wondering, uh, how is it that people uh, are healed? Because uh, I was providing some doctor functions as one of my as one of my jobs in this little village out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, these these aspirin that I was distributing were causing some fantastic recoveries from things as wild as tularemia to uh, uh, you know infections and boils and, you know, something as pedestrian as digging thorns out of somebody's foot. So it was a wide range of interesting experiences, all of which were healed by dispensing these aspirin. Well, sometimes a little physical application was required, but I was astonished at their healing rate and then discovered uh, later in my time there that they weren't actually even taking the aspirin. They were taking them home, putting them on their puja and saying a little prayer and boom! These conditions were just vanishing left and right. Puzzled me greatly, but now fast forward a couple of years, I was uh, I was in back in the states on a little visit, and and discovered the Dianetics book. And the first forty pages of that book blew my mind. It explained everything that had happened in India, all, India, all these strange and bizarre experiences uh, in terms of physical healing. And I became quite passionate about it. I started auditing people right out of the book, uh, not knowing there were any centers around. And then one day somebody passing me on a student ball in Albuquerque uh, saw my Dime book and said, you've got to stay away from these people. They just want your money. I said, what people are you talking about? And he told me there's a center up on Manal opposite the Kmart. I thank you very much. I got my car and went up there and walked in and actually started off with a book purchase. I said, I want a copy of everything this man has written since 1950, which kind of stunned this person. And so she took me down the hallway and showed me the bookstore. And suddenly I was in love. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) Uh, This look at this library. I, I looked into this room and it was just Wall to wall books. I said, you know, I'm actually not interested in anything but those things written by Hubbard. And she said, Well, that's all we have here. Right. <laughs> oh, <my> God, <laughs> so that's astonishing. So I knew I'd fallen into a huge vat of honey. Down the hallway, we're doing a course, and I asked them if they had a course I could do in just a few days. And uh, long story short, I did a communications course. It took ten days. A little inconvenient for me at the time but the, the fact is what I got from doing this communications course as simple as it was is a brilliant brilliant course uh, I was completely gobsmacked but then I had to run back to my stuff going on at where I was living at the time and um that started me I, I finished up my actions and I went across the water to England uh because I, I found out that the closest English-speaking organization was London, which is interesting, because I, I, I took off to London, you know, overland. I, you know, I was on the boat from Ostend over to Dover, and I got off, and the customs guy said, So, sir, what are you coming into England for? And I've been across this border many times. I said, oh, I'm going to do some salmon fishing up in Scotland, and I thought I'd look into the Church of Scientology in London. And uh, his complexion changed. (laughs) And he started asking me all kinds of questions. I mean, going on and on. I said, why are you asking me all these questions? I've been in in England many times. They said, well, sir, we don't allow foreign Scientologists in New England. That's
1: unusual.
2: Which was astonishing to me. I said, well, "Well, what is Scientology? Because, you know, all I knew is, That's the place where I get Dianetics, which is the only thing I had any reality about. I wanted to know where I can get more Dianetics, and they said the Church of Scientology in London. So I said, okay, they're probably sharing quarters or something. So I I innocently announced my interest to go to the church, and uh, then I asked to see the guy senior. I want to see your superior. And uh, the superior came out, and he obviously trained the earlier guy. Gave the same canned answers and so forth, and they put me on a boat and sent me back to Copenhagen or back to Ostend. Didn't let me into the country. Oh my gosh! So uh, that was a—it a, was very rude. Plus this embarrassing stamp in my passport. So I—I I, I went back there and I—I I, I discovered the closest organization was in Copenhagen. So I went there and I walked in. That was very pissed off, to say the least. I said, okay, I just tried to get into England and was kicked out because uh, they were saying they kicked me out because of Scientology. And I still don't know what the hell Scientology is. But I want to know what the hell's going on here. Because I want to hit somebody right in the nose. It's either going to be you guys or it's going to be those guys. And uh, the person called the assistant guardian was the next person that I saw, and she was delightful. She was absolutely delightful. She handled all my questions with references. She spent a couple of hours with me uh, telling me all these various stories and backing them up with documentation, and I thought, okay, you're the good guys. This is what I thought, and I would have expected that from a man who wrote this book, which I was still quite enamored with. Anyway, I got my first auditing there in Copenhagen, which was objective processes, uh, which, of course, was weird for me, you know, follow my hands, contribute to their emotion, this kind of stuff. Going, <laughs> I think this auditor is just practicing or
3: something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, on a number of occasions, I said, when are we going to do Dianetics? <laughs> yeah, it was right out of the origination sheet in the training manuals. Uh, but I never did get to that. I just got hard, halfway through and and uh, and then decided, okay, I... I had this uh, rather interesting incident happen. Long story short, I ended up going back to Paris. When I got there, there was a call waiting for me from London. They'd been expecting me since I left New Mexico because I told them to call ahead to to tell England that I'll be coming across. And this guy named Hamish was on the phone. He said, where are you? I said, well, I'm here. I'm back in Paris. I got kicked out of England. I told them that tale. They said, and they said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'm going to go back to the States and continue with uh, with this Dianetics. And he said, why don't you come here and join staff? <laughs> I thought, you yeah, know, did you hear what I just told you? <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, but if you come in via Ireland, they won't check your passport. No kidding? Is that a fact? So that's right. That you come in via... <clears throat> so the next day... I was back in Ostend on a boat to Dublin this time. And sure enough, I got to Dublin. I went through customs, no problem, jumped on a train, came across to London, and I joined staff at the London Org. And I was there for a year until I was getting chased all over the place by Bobbies who discovered I was in the country. It was quite a little drama. But (laughs) But the point is, the enthusiasm I had after reading the Dianetics book and being so switched on to the workability of this technology, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't care what it took. I'm going to find out more about this, getting kicked out of countries and so on, getting chased by bobbies all over London. Uh, I'm doing this. and so. But finally, after a year, I had to take off, uh, again, just because of this rather situation with the police. So I went back to the States and continued. I joined staff in... Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and I spent 12 years on staff in various organizations between London and Cincinnati and Detroit, and uh, and the San Francisco experience began. So that's basically my history in a nutshell. That lasted until 1989 when um, I left staff and went freelancing. And... uh, I, just, I had business we'd started a number of consulting companies that were extremely successful because the administrative technology that Hubbard developed is, is quite fantastic, miraculous in fact. Uh, so we created some companies that's handled just about every dentist and chiropractor in the United States, which is, by the way, not the public to be interested in. Uh, as much as I love those people, they they've already been trained and they just – Take what they know and go back into their practices um, but anyway I, I don't want to deviate that's that's a brief story of my history when I, when I got the um, uh, that when I finished that that tenure I, I took off and started just touring the world and doing events all over the place and that was so it was tremendous fun lots of friends made everywhere and I got to see Scientology all over the world that's really so cool. that was a, it was a lot of fun.
1: So, on your, um, you said your first course was the communications course. That's right. And how do you, how did you find that?
2: Well, it was, uh, I, I was brilliant. It was brilliant. Uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely one of those show me guys. Uh, I, I want to see it with my own eyeballs and so forth. And this course left nothing to the imagination. I mean, you went in there. And uh, you've got to have some hard bark on your ass to get through this course. <laughs> There's no question about it. Um, but I was I was completely impressed with how simple these exercises were. I mean, this is a communications course that left no stones unturned. It was thorough. It was simple. And it was, it was just so fundamental that many, many different issues in my life were just disappearing. And mind you, this wasn't a business life and stuff. This was just my thought process uh, simplified. Uh, My communication skills obviously were amplified tremendously. My willingness just to be there comfortably was greatly enhanced. Uh, You would be amazed how many conversations begin uh, because people are uncomfortable with the Alternative of silence. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many uh, problems people create for themselves by by opening their mouths. And <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this course was was quite fantastic. I, I, I was completely impressed with it. it. It took me ten days to get through, and I mean, as I, as I like to say, I felt like I was sucked through a hundred feet of garden hose. <laughs> But I came out the other end of it, and uh, it was a new day. It was a it was a great way to start this adventure that then lasted for what 40, 45 years. Dang thing! I am I haven't finished.
1: Right. So let's fast forward to um, the Pro TRS pilot that you were a part of. Could you describe that?
2: Yeah, I was on the internship uh, for. Dianetics auditor at the time and uh, there were 12 of us and we got a tape one day from or a, or a communique from LRH one day that said he wanted to see a copy of an audio tape uh, from each of the interns and and so we immediately thought okay great we have LRH looking over our shoulders this is pretty cool and so we turned in the tapes and uh a couple of days later, a communique came back that said all crew auditing is to stop immediately. And as the intern supervisor was reading this communication, we were looking at each other, going, What did you do to your PC? <laughs> 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 Mine are doing great. Uh, because he was stopping the auditing. I mean, this is how big this problem was. And we had briefing course people, we had one class eight, we had uh, a whole bunch of uh, grades, auditors, and so forth. Um, there was, there was a, a broad selection of auditors on this internship. And um, all crew auditing is supposed to stop. That, that to me, uh, seemed pretty severe. Because I, I, I know my PCs were winning, and so was I, and it was going great. But then a couple more days passed and the order came down that all flag interns are to report to the International Training Org and get their OT and TR0 flat, flat, flat for two hours. Oh, wow. And that was uh, the beginning of what became the most important thing I ever did in my life. That was... Without any doubt, looking back over my entire history in Scientology, the most important thing that ever happened to me. I created an entire career out of what I learned on that course with LRH. It was quite something. So, so anyway, the, the word went out because he, he'd been working on these TRs you know, since 61. I mean, he was serious about the TRs. You, if you don't have your communication in, which is what is accomplished by these training routines... If you don't have absolutely great TRs, um, the, the supervisors of upper levels aren't going to be teaching their, their levels, but these drills, so you're just out of communication. And if you're out of communication, you're just like a psychiatrist. <laughs> you know, you've know, you got to get these things in. Well, this all became very, very real to all of us. Because these guys coming in were class 8s and class 6s and grad five. Auditors, the lead auditors and CSs from every org on the planet. So, so one of the other points is that suddenly I had a whole new bunch of friends from all over the world, which prompted the later tour that uh, that I did around the planet because I already had communication points in every every org. So uh, that that went for me. uh, It was about eight months that I was there before. I got a pass from LRH and uh, that was a the, the amazing thing is uh, I, God, I could like, we could spend an entire podcast talking about that pilot I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable the kind of things that, that happened, I mean when we did, we did the long confronts again and uh, this time we actually did them correctly and uh I didn't realize I was doing them incorrectly before. But then when you read the bulletin and what does that word say and you you tell him what it means and he goes, okay, let's have a look at what that word means. (laughs) And you look up the word and your head kind of spins on the axis like, no kidding. I, I didn't realize that that's what that word meant. And suddenly you're passing through these training routines. We It researched a whole lot of different things because we were not there just to get our own TRs in, to get our own communication skills correct, but we were there to find out why this had not been happening in all of the prior years. I mean, LRH was like at the end of the stick on this particular subject. So we, we developed the the method nine technology, the false data stripping technology, uh, all kinds of things that later resulted in the key to life course and the life orientation course and in uh, a a very, uh, actually a wonderful reference that modified his earlier references uh, on the TRs. So it was a lot of work that went into it, and we were taking all kinds of notes about what we were doing that was causing changes. For example, there was one particular additive that I had on my communication cycle. It was just something that I was adding in there. And Ron noted this. It was very small. It wouldn't have been noticeable for anybody from New Mexico (laughs) because we we all did it in New Mexico. But um, he had me... Read chapter 6 of Dianetics 55. Dianetics 55 uh, was basically Dianetics 1955. It was written five years after the Dianetics book, and it was all about subjective communication. And this uh, this chapter on communication, it was chapter 6. You had me read this for the gram, and I did, uh, and I read it, and then I sat down and I did um, a, a video, a, a TR4 video. And that went up, and when it came back, he said, okay, I want you to go back and clay demo every paragraph of
0: Chapter 6. So you were that guy?
2: (laughs) I was that guy. (laughs) guy. Oh yeah, I'm actually mentioned on a bias in a number of places in the TRs, because I was a real troublemaker. (laughs) I caused a lot of pain for, for people who followed me. I haven't confessed to that very often, but... Every paragraph. And I have to say that was a life-changing experience. That was that was uh, really something. We also needed to do, um, I was the first one to do Axiom 28 in the clay. And that was that was a fascinating thing because Axiom 28 is simply the calm formula, basically causes this effect with intention, attention, and so forth. And... Um, he said, uh, "Do this in in clay." And, and then, then it was like he was pausing. He said, "I want to see large clay fake ears." <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't monkeying around with these little miniature dolls that you see in many Uh uh-huh. trips. I mean, they literally brought a dump truck full of clay. <laughs> I mean, there are 200 students here, all moving through the same materials. We had a monstrous clay area. But I did my uh, Axiom 28 in foot-tall clay figures. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this was, this was like you're walking into somebody's living room. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are like real people. that <laughs> did the whole thing in these large clay pieces. And, again, it was one of those experiences that you have and think, God, I wish everybody in the world could do this. People would literally walk by this clay demo and have cognitions.
1: Wow. You know,
2: I had to go through all the work. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it was a hell of a lot more complex than it finally turned out to be. But we actually had this whole clay demo. It wasn't just a part of it, it was the entire thing on a couple of long tables. And it was, uh, uh, there was nothing fun about it when I started. But by the end of it, uh, I was not only blown out of my socks, but I loved doing clay demos. Uh I really saw the value of these things. Not these little tiny, tiny little dodo clay figures, you know. Substantial clay. I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to do foot-tall figures. But uh, whatever large... Figures, you know, you've got to get as much mass into these as you can. I, I felt like I could have a conversation with any one of these clay people.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, so it
2: was uh, that was that was a breakthrough for me. The axiom twenty eight.
0: So when but, did uh, when did you finish this pilot?
2: I was like uh, September of seventy nine. I finished, but I was the seventh one to finish. There was there were a couple of hundred of us in there.
1: Oh wow! But. Uh,
2: but Here's an interesting thing, you guys. Um, I was number seven. Marianne O'Donnell from Washington was number six. And the first five were all Mexicans who had arrived at the pilot without speaking any English at all. (laughs) They knew no English. Wow. (laughs) There there had been no translations of any of this material in Spanish. And five of these Mexican guys were the first people to finish the pilot.
1: Why do you suspect that was?
2: I know precisely why it was. Uh, It seemed like the people who took the—I was the highest trained of the first ten people who graduated. And I was a Dianetics—I hadn't finished the internship. We had started the pilot when I hadn't yet finished the Dianetics internship but i was the highest trained of the first 10 the ones that took a really long time were the class 6s and the class 8s who had been auditing for 15 20 years oh. because they had accumulated so many affectations and fixed ideas and attitudes in their calm cycle it was they were stiff and robotic compared to the lrh standard oh they just had a whole lot of barriers in the way that the rest of us hadn't had enough chance yet to build up. That's the simplicity of it. The Spanish had nothing to get out of the way because this is the first they'd ever even heard of the subject. So they went in with no preconceived notions, with no earlier experience auditing. Oh, that seems to work. I'll keep saying, okay, okay, or whatever the hell it was that they would say. But these other auditors, in fact, there was one guy, a class eight, who was CS from AOLA. I'm not going to say his, his, his name, but uh, uh, he, he was very much in the course room because all these people had been around for years together. But uh, he was doing the same cram several times. And then LRH sent a column that said, this is no case gain. Hmm. Send him to qual.
0: Hmm.
2: And of course, you know what no case gain means. Right. Uh, uh, it's like what? I mean, that brought the whole courtroom kind of standstill. And off he went. I mean, he was he was introverted
0: like you wouldn't believe. Walking out of the courtroom, <laughs> I mean, pale
2: and pasty faced.
0: Rightfully so. Here's,
2: yeah. Yeah, but, but, but his issue was that he was so much into his own status. He had this presence and this being. This was completely artificial. And uh, by sending him to Qual, his life was saved. I mean, they cracked his egg, and he had, he had cognitions and realizations and changes like you wouldn't believe. When he came back into the course room, his hair had almost turned color. But he did eventually make it through. But he had to get rid of this affectation that he was wearing in his TRs, as good as his reputation was. The point is, the standard that we thought was the standard up until 1979 was not the standard that LRH had set. He he was thinking much higher standards, much better results. Uh, When he said miracles as usual, he wasn't exaggerating. Uh, late later in the pilot as a matter of fact i wasn't a seasoned auditor but my trs were getting pretty damn good and uh, there was a lady from one of the other course rooms who was badly mashed into her head with some some sort of study barrier so they sent her over to our course room and uh My supervisor picked me out to go do a word-clearing correction list. I don't even know if they still have word-clearing correction lists in the church. Uh, With uh, what I understand from this conversation yesterday, they have even their own dictionaries in the church now. But um, this is a word-clearing correction list, and there were no auditing rooms available. So we went into the bathroom across from the pilot course room. And I sat on the sink, and she sat on the toilet, and I had my e-meter on one knee, <laughs> <laughs> and the list on the other knee. I said, "You're comfortable, all right, well, I guess we cans." And uh, so we just did this word clearing correction list, and we went through it, back, 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 and um, everything was fine. She went through, and the needle was loosening up very nicely, and but her indicators definitely weren't coming in. So I said, okay, we got through the list. Now we're going to to go through it, and I'm going to assess it again. And I did. Now, here I am. I'm going down this list, and I'm right in the middle of one of the questions on this correction list. And the needle just went free. This is a free, I mean, this was the nicest effort I've ever seen. It was, this is, we were in the old wooden boxes at that time. The new meters hadn't come out. But this was the most astonishing floating needle. It just, fuh. I mean, I had to blow down watching her needle float. It was such a wow. And I, so obviously I just stopped reading the question instantly and watched this FN. And, and I looked up at her. And, uh, obviously she was in the middle of a moment and she looked up at me and, uh, I was looking back at her and just looking at her and, you know, not disturbing her in any way. And she blew out of her head. She was so, so blown out. And the needle went dial wide. And this was the first dial wide FN I'd ever seen. It went into a floating tone arm on a word clearing correction list. <laughs> and I just sat there and watched her this and this and this, and I just realized this, I mean, my gosh, this is like an L's whip, for crying out loud, sitting on a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> this, this was, a, oh man, I, I was so excited about this, because I really could see in the real world the effect of really good TRs.
1: I mean, really
2: good TRs. They weren't in yet. They weren't even in yet, but they were very good. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to wrap this up. And, uh, very gentle ending. And she, I, you know, she stood up and wobbled on her feet a little bit, I put a hand under her elbow and opened the bathroom door. And, and we walked across uh, into the course room. We had an examiner area over there. And we walked in and the course room, this busy, busy course room stopped and they looked because everybody saw her walk into that course room, you know, an hour and a half earlier. And she, she couldn't see the end of her nose. And walking in now, she was a completely different person. And, uh, uh, I mean, the whole course, you're like, wow, check that out. And I was, as, I don't think I've ever been more proud in my life for having helped this young lady discover what it was that she needed to discover to release this much uh, char- <laughs> charge from her universe. <coughs> Anyway, everybody redoubled their efforts and so forth. Uh, so Anyway, that, that pilot was discovery after discovery. <clears throat> I will tell you one fantastic story about that occurred on this pilot that I will never forget. It had an impact on every single student in the course room. It's a story about LRH. And I, um, I, I hope I'm not rambling on. No, are, are go right you ahead. interested in this? Yes. Okay. This um, I was running the video line, because people now were, by this time, up to TR-4, and they would drill it and drill it, and then they would go in and they would cut a video. And if the missionaries liked it, Dan Kuhn and his uh, and his second were the missionaries for this pilot. That's when I met Dan Kuhn, in fact. Uh, so if they liked it, it's going up lines to LRH, who is not very far away. I mean, in terms of speed of traffic, it was very fast turnaround. And then Ron would watch the video, and he'd turn around and send it back with the cram, the instruction, or whatever. So now I'm running this video line, So because I always had a video up to Ron, so I was always running the video. I'd go back and do my correction, and once that was done, we'd send off the tape, and then I would be running the video line and so i was i was positioning the camera and there was an auditor pc the meter was turned on there between them and uh, the, the, the uh, video was over the shoulder of the auditor so it was capturing only the meter and the pc and of course the audio was capturing the comm cycle so you can see the tone arm and i mean you're getting tone arm on a pc in not in a 90 second video just using trs alone uh, this, is a, this is quite a, quite a thing. Now, but
3: anyway, if,
0: if I, I may, it may interject but, something here, yesterday when we were talking about this, you had said that I guess early on you were using uh, meters that were off. Can you throw that yeah, in there? It,
2: the, the very first the very first uh, videos that went up were it was just using a E meter as a prop, but it wasn't turned on. And as soon as LRH saw those videos, he immediately corrected and said, no no auditor worth his salt could sit in front of a dead meter. Turn those meters on. Because when it started out, it was called the TRs and metering pilot. Mm-hmm. But but if you don't have your TRs in, you're blowing smoke if you think you're going to get a meter to read the way it's supposed to read. So uh, we, we gave up on the metering Aspect uh, after a little while, just to get these TRs, and we eventually brought them back in. But uh, let's let's forget the meters. But when you went in, now you now you're through your TR4, and you're doing a video for run. The meter's there, and it's turned on. PC has the cans, and and then as the director of the thing, I would I would tell the coach to start, and and the coach would give the student a start. They would run 90 seconds. And I would give the coach a sign, and he would end the coaching session,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and that would that would put the thing in a can. So, I mean, this thing, this pilot was going on now for a long time. Now we're up in the six and a half, seven months that I had been there. A lot of these guys arrived a little bit later, but most of them were there within the first three weeks. And mind you, we all have lives. We have missions to run and orgs to run, and, and I was the only public person on this pilot. Everybody there was an org staff member. Their orgs were paying the bill. Mm-hmm. I was paying this bill, and uh-huh. I was really getting sucked through a garden hose on this deal. I, I was a mission staff member. I worked at the Cincinnati Mission, so I'm paying for this out of my own pocket, so I have an additional amount of um, necessity level right. to get through this.
0: So you were saying so now, the, the, about Dan Kuhn and uh, getting it to LRH and everything.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, well. But now I'm running. Now I'm, I'm just running the video line now. And then the video, uh, if they, if the, if the twins here liked it, they'd show it to Dan and his second. And if they liked it, then it would go up to Ron, and that'd take a couple, maybe three days before it would come back, because Ron wasn't just overseeing our pilot; he had he had all of his other traffic to handle as well Mm -hmm. in retrospect you know i I have no idea what that traffic could have been but i did know that we'd be out breaking for lunch and and a friend of mine from the flag bureau would be saying god i've got ron all over my lines on this major project we're doing (laughs) (laughs) it's like how many lines is he on Gets the idea everybody gets the idea that ron's just working on their stuff because of the, of the volumes of things they're sending to him. So, but he was actually just coming to the end of his tenure with, uh, with any connection with the church, uh, which I later found out. In any case, uh, one day I came in and the camera, we have a, an order, and it, the order came to me that said we need to change the cameras. Now we're gonna have three cameras. We're gonna have a camera on the, on the PC over the auditor's shoulder as we already had. Then we're going to have a camera of the entire session. And then we're going to have a camera that's back on the auditor. Now, there's three cameras on this session. And I was like, what in the hell? And, you know, the tone arm is beginning to pack with the amount of time this pilot's taking. (laughs) And uh, so I sat down and I wrote a letter to Rod. And and, uh, we had a on the supervisor's desk calm to run and um, we were always putting stuff in there but this now was like okay I was pissed and I sat down and wrote longhand on full scat paper uh, three full pages both sides dear sir (laughs) god damn it (laughs) I mean I'm, I'm writing this letter sir you know I've been on this level since da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I mean, we were the first people in here, and we've been bashing. Then this happened. Now, the check sheet started off with two steps, and then it went to five steps, and now it's up to 67 steps. And I mean, I walk every damn one of them, and, I'm, not, <laughs> da, 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 and I, I'm just blowing my stack. And then there were the freaking clay demos, and then the Method 9, the wall of Method 9s. Oh, my God. That took us a month and a half just to figure out what a Method 9 was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I am absolutely just venting my spleen just to get it off my chest. Who am I going to tell about this? You know, I'm not going to tell one of the missionaries. I'm not going to tell one of the soups. I'm not going to turn to one of my classmates and, and I needed to vent LRH. As, as you, I, I don't know if you guys were around, I think you're around, but Ron still here. But the, the thing you knew you could always do was talk to Ron. When something was going sideways, He would get it fixed. There was just no Q&A in that man's universe. But anyway, I just needed him as a terminal, and I vented and vented and vented and basically laid out the entire history of the pilot. And then this happened, and you're not going to believe what this (laughs) I I couldn't even believe what I was writing, but I was was just writing it to get it off my chest. Uh It It was just getting in my way. And the one thing I knew was true is that Ron can have it. You know, he's he's not going to be pissed off with me about communicating. So uh, I finished this and said, listen, Ron, you know, okay, never mind the money this is costing me, never mind the time this is taken. I am only here because I know, and I, I I am never going anywhere until I meet this standard. And I've been getting huge wins. I've been having huge advances. But I'm I'm just sitting here going, Jesus, what is it exactly that you want? And so that's it, Ron. I just I will do freaking anything uh, if it agrees with my own point of view. And I haven't had any disagreement so far in this pilot. I would when I would first read the materials of the cram. I would have a little upset. But then I would find my misunderstood word and go, oh, gee,
3: <laughs>
2: How about, that makes perfect sense. So, you know, you could, you're going through a lot of human emotion and reaction when you're going through this stuff. But you find your misunderstood word and it's like a peaceful morning, you know, in July. So I'm venting and then I just finally said, Ron, just tell me exactly what it is that you want from me and by I'm going to get it for you. And, um, you know, love Shreff. And I folded it up and stuck it into the communication box to Ron. And I went back to my work, and I felt a hell of a lot better just having said it. Because I knew I said it to Ron. And it's like, you know, he can have it. At least It's out of my head. And I went back to my studies with my twin. And um, now it's two days later. And into the course room walks an officer that nobody in this course room recognized, Uh, a woman, beautiful. I mean, this woman shined. She actually emanated a a wavelength, and she had her officer's cap on and a lanyard about two inches in diameter from her shoulder uh, with eggs all over the bill of her cap. And she walked into the course room and she went up to Joe Ray, and um, who was the supervisor. And of course, as soon as she arrived in there, this whole course room goes to a stop. It's like, who the hell is that? <laughs> and she leaned over to Ron and she said, Do you have Mark Schreffler in your course room, Joe Ray? Oh, no. And uh, every face in the room turned to me. <laughs> 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 All of my friends sitting around going, what the fuck did you do now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And Joe Ray said, yes, sir, I do. He's sitting right over there. And I was kind of moved behind one of the pillars in this girls' room. But but everybody now is looking over at me, and, uh, and she said, would you mind if I had a word with him? And she said, absolutely not, sir. Be my dad. She said, thank you. I mean, you know, this this woman had such ethics presence that as she walks through the course room, the people she's passing are standing up. Mm. This is ethics presence. I don't know who this person is, but I'm definitely standing up when she walks by. And she was delightful. She had a very nice carriage to her. I don't know what her name was. Never did find out what her name was. But I'll tell you, this was the picture of ethics presence. And, of course, I was on my feet immediately. And she walked up to me and she said, You're you're Mark Treffler? And I said, Yes, sir, I am. And um, she said, I have a message here from LRH for you. And she handed me this envelope. And, I mean, you couldn't hear a pin drop in this course room. And I took the envelope and said, Thank you very much, sir, for bringing me this communication. And she said, it's my pleasure. Will there be a reply? I thought, oh, shit. (laughs) I've got to read it right now. (laughs) I I, I really didn't want to read it right now. And I said, oh, please, pardon me, ma'am. And I pulled this uh, letter out, and it was from Ron. And I read his response to my communication. And and I looked up at her and I said, Sir, please tell Ron for me that he will have compliance. And she said, I'm sure he'll be thrilled. Thank you, Mark. Yes, sir. Thank you again for bringing me. And she turned and she walked out. And all those people who had stood up when she came into the course room were still on their feet. And she walked out of the course room. And everybody looked over at me.
0: <laughs> again. Sort of. Like, I sat well... down to
2: get back to work. And, uh, and Joe raised it. Okay, Shref. What the fuck does that letter say? <laughs> she, she didn't use those words. But uh, she said, okay, what the hell does that letter say? Come on! And everybody was like, come on, man, what the hell did Ron say to you? A messenger actually hand carried the message. But I realized that this was an acknowledgement to my earlier communication and that the classroom would not understand this acknowledgement if they didn't understand what I wrote in my communication.
0: Right, the context.
2: So, yeah, they have to have the context of this. So I said, okay, I'm going to tell you. And I stood up and everybody was sitting down. It's like story hour.
3: <laughs> and I
2: said, I'm going I'm, I'm to tell you what I told to Ron that he is responding to with this communication. And then I just basically went back through my entire communication to LRH. Now, mind you, there wasn't a single person in this course room who didn't have the same bypass charge that I had. Right. We all had gone through this war together. We were brothers and sisters, man. We were, but you know, this isn't something you talk about outside of the pilot area. You just never get to talk about this stuff. But I I actually laid out the entire history of this pilot and of all of us as a common bond in this letter and uh, in fact I would would say then I told him this boom 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 and and a whole part of the course room would break out in laughter no shit you said that to him honest (laughs) to God yeah yeah oh man I feel that way I mean mean, this course room was blowing charge (laughs) I was talking about this stuff none of us had been talking about any of this stuff and here I am telling him what I said in the letter to Ron and everybody's just blowing charge on the fact that I'd say that because I would have said that but it didn't occur to me to say it to anybody (laughs) It was the wildest thing. Uh-huh. But anyway, I got the end of this history lesson. And, uh, and then I opened the letter and I pulled it out. And I mean, talk about a vacuum of silence. It was dead quiet in there. And I, and I said, and this is what Ron said to me. Dear Shref, all I want from you is standard TRs. Love, Ron. Wow. And there was, the silence continued for about five seconds, and that course room went into action. It was the perfect acknowledgement. Whenever you got a communication back from Ron, and I had letter correspondence with him for years, whenever you got a letter back from, now mind you, he had many people writing letters in his letter unit, but occasionally he would write one himself, an acknowledgement, or he would originate a letter to you. Uh And his letter always stood out from the rest like a lighthouse on a beach. It was just obviously from Ron because it was simple, it was to the point, and it was absolutely without attitude. Mm -hmm. It was just real communication, as was this one. Dear Shref, all I want from you is standard TRs. Mind you, six pages of bypass charge He got it. He totally duplicated it. And this acknowledgement really told me he totally got the communication. Because the one thing I was interested in was the question I asked him. What do you want from me? All I want from you is standard TRs. No hidden data loans. No conversation about it. It's in the references. Everything that I said about TRs that you need to know is in those references. That's one thing we definitely learned. There's no hidden data line. There's no verbal tech about these things. Find your misunderstood word. Good. Found that good. Now you'll see improvement. But anyway, that was an experience I have cherished ever since just because I felt very close to LRH in that moment. And so did all of my friends. On this pilot they redoubled their effort mind you this pilot was already making more student points in a week than any continent was making in a month. Wow I mean these people weren't just sitting around picking their fingernails these people were dedicated Scientologists trying to duplicate a very important piece of technology. so when when, when for example your question Carrie about the communications course uh, it was the most important course for me when I began. But but over all of these years, now I understand why it's the only course people really need to do, the only exception being if they have a PTS condition, if they have a suppressive influence in their environment. You've got to handle that first, because this course will so affect them and so enhance their lives, if it's an introductory course or if it's an advanced course, it will bring about such a dramatic improvement that if there is a suppressive agency in their life that person is going to go nuts when he sees this person improve like this so you've got to handle the pts elements first and then get a person onto and through a good hard trs course and their life will change i absolutely love to promote that particular course
1: well actually actually your story illustrates the importance of communication because your entire classroom, your entire course room, totally felt acknowledged with that letter he wrote you.
2: Absolutely. yeah, You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But but the standard is quite something. And, and the fact that TRs, well, like Ron said in the tape, What is Scientology? He said, these drills are positive Jewels of genius. So I would be the the first person to admit that these drills are positive jewels of genius. But I would be the first one to throw them away if they got on the road of anybody's communication. Remember that and use them accordingly. This is also the tape wherein he mentioned that these drills are steps on the road to clear all by themselves without any further processing.
0: Well, ultimately, how did it end for you? As far as how did it all fall into place?
2: Well, the end result of it was just an LRH pass on my TR four video. You know, the interesting thing about that was, uh, it was this—the one before my last video to Ron. That tape went up, and I and I walked out of that session, that video session, feeling fantastic. This was. That, this is incredible. I got I got nice tone arm in a 90 second session because uh, you know you know the coach the coach knows the guy's trs are in when he goes into session he can't do anything about it right he he just goes into session uh-huh. and you can see he's in session it isn't like he's mocking up being in session whereas in the beginning when you see people brand new with you know, working on their TRs, their coach has to mock up somebody who's really chewing on stuff. and really. But at the end of this pilot, um, your coach goes into session for real. And it's not because of any tacit agreement that that's what's going to happen or anything else. You just got an auditor sitting there who's got his TRs in. And that PC is interested in his own case and willing to talk to the auditor about it. So you ask him, do birds fly? And... He's, honest to God, looking at birds.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I, I came out of this session and I, I just felt fantastic about it. I thought, yep, that's it. This is my past. I thought, I can. I, I'm, I gotta go get my reservations, you know, my airplane And I just had this little tiny, niggly feeling in the bottom of my spine. But this, this was a fantastic video. And uh, the... Construction came back and said, "This man has an overt. Pull it." <laughs> <laughs> now that hit like a ton of bricks. It indicated, I must say, but it really caught me flat-footed because just like two to three weeks prior to that. LRH had put the entire pilot through an OW Mm write-up. All of us. He sent down a list of the areas he wanted us to examine, write up our OWs on all of these areas, 35 categories on each of eight dynamics. And uh, that was an extensive write-up. That took... Oh, month and a half just to get through that write-up. <laughs> and you know, books, books of OWs. Uh-huh. Now, so I'm working away on my OWs and stuff, but I'm also one of the meter checkers. I'm sitting there on an e-meter, and when somebody would finish his OW write-up, he'd come over and he'd hand it to me, and the police would have a seat. And I would read through his OWs. And uh very good, and I would thank him for his O.W.'s, and then I would give him the meter check. And, of course, if I got a read, go back and continue writing. If his needle was floating, he'd get power of forgiveness, and, uh, and uh, off he would go blown out of his socks and continue with his studies. So I was not only doing my own write-up, I was reading all the O.W.'s of all these other people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And while reading theirs, I'd be going, Ooh, my gosh, I forgot about that. And I and I would be taking notes on my on my little notepad yeah remember the time with the tricycle because um, their OWs are actually reminding me of my own because I'm on the same cycle that they are uh-huh. so my OW write-up was incredibly thorough and you know how good you feel after a very very good OW write-up Right. When it's actually needed, you know, not when it's enforced upon you, mm-hmm. but when you actually need to do it. And this is Ron on the line. He says, this is what you need to do next. And we all did it. And it was an incredible experience. In any case, here I am a couple of weeks after that part of the pilot had been done. My, I've been given forgiveness. And I had a very thorough. And now he tells me this man has an overt pull it. It was. It was. It was. There was no invalidation connected to it at all. It was just a statement of reality, and uh, it was a little unreal to me, as many things had been earlier in this pilot. But as I had always experienced, when I find my misunderstood word or when I find what the thing is, it all makes sense. Uh-huh. Well, I was sitting here puzzled about this, so I went in to see Dan in the safe. He said so. He says I have an overt. He says, Well, there you go. Go out and have a look. Yeah, yeah I, I guess that's, I guess I should. And I went out and I, and I was, and then I realized what it was. It's fascinating. Just one week before, I had a very good buddy named Ray Facto, who was one of the supervisors with the FSO, and he was on the RPF. He was, uh, we were old fishing buddies. Mm hmm. And every night after the pilot, I'd go down there into the kitchen and see him on my way through to my room. And uh, this night, I was down there having a chat with Ray. He was washing dishes. And um, down at the other end of the kitchen was the steward, the chief steward of the land base. And I thought, (laughs) Uh, this is interesting for me, because the whole pilot had been, everybody on the pilot had been eating nothing but rice and beans. Mm Rice and beans was all that we got to eat for the last geez, month and a half. Mm-hmm. All we had eaten was rice and beans. Now some people went off base and they ate in restaurants. I just thought that was cheating, and so I never did. I just, <laughs> ate. in fact, I got to really, I got to really like rice and beans. But the fact of the matter is, I hadn't completed this thing after all these months. I deserve rice and beans. I'm not duplicating this. So it was, a, it was a means by which the missionaire was getting our... The necessity level up. This was Dan's order, not Ron's. Uh-huh. And um, so I was, I was getting pretty tired of rice and beans. I thought I just, I would just like to have one meal. And um, and then I saw the chief steward down at the other end of the kitchen. And I turned back to Ron, or to to Ray, my friend. And then in a, in a voice that would carry to the end of the kitchen, I said, "Ray, I'm happy to tell you that T.R.S. pilot was taken off of rice and beans today." Man, am I relieved. And Ray said, No kidding, so you're back on real food. I said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No more rice and beans for the pilot. I'm very happy about this. Okay, man, listen, I'll see you tomorrow night, and in- off I went. Sure enough, the next day at lunchtime, we all we all had to eat a buffet-style lunch because there were so many of us for one city.
3: Uh-huh.
2: But we all we and we ate in two sittings you know how 100 of us would eat at a time and then the other 100 would go over so i was in the first sitting and i came back and i'm standing in the line up to the table and nick frazier from new zealand is walking up and down the table and it's full of food real food and uh, i said hey, hey nick i stood on the line i'm the only guy nattering within 100 miles of the land base right here <laughs> i said i said nick what's happening up there they said hey man there's no rice and beans up here mate I said, what do you mean there's no rice and beans? And I strutted up to the front of the line, and I'm going up and down the food table, taking in all this great food that's been served for us. And um, I turned on my heel, and I started to head back to the, the uh, kitchen but bounced off of my own overton and, and turned to Nick and said, Nick, go back to the kitchen and find out why we haven't got any rice and beans out here. <laughs>
3: and he
2: said, right. And he turned on his heel, and he went back into the kitchen and came back and said, they thought we were off of rice and beans. They didn't fix any rice and beans for us. And then I turned to everybody in the line and said, OK, guys, we got 45 minutes. Let's eat. Oh. And everybody went through the food line at that lunch. The second sitting, they had the rice and beans ready for them. But for my sitting, we all got a good, full meal of real food. <laughs> now, I realized that was the over. Yeah, uh, you know, I, said, I, I, can't even, I can't even believe it. So I went into Dan, and I sat down and I said, "Sir, I think I, I think I know what the overt was." And of course, Dan himself had as wonderful T.R.s. I mean, a perfect gun cycle. And he said, "Tell me about it." And I was sitting there with him, and I said, "You know, remember? Uh, you know, about a week ago." Maybe 10 days. uh, We went over for lunch, and they didn't have rice and beans uh, for the first sitting. And he said, yeah, I remember that. I said, well, you know, the night before I was in the kitchen, I was talking with my friend Ray, and I, I, I said something to him that, I was just like postulating that we were off of rice and beans. I was just like saying, you know, we're off of rice and beans, and... Oh, I'm so grateful about it. You know, I was just postulating it. But I think the steward was there in the kitchen, and he overheard this conversation and assumed that we had been taken off of rice and beans. That's, that's what I think happened. And Dan, with a perfect half-acknowledgement, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, as, as I look at it you know, more closely... I realized that the, what I said was real intention behind it. I was like postulating, we're not going to have. And I said, you know, the TR's pilot was taken off of rice and beans today. And I really said it like a positive postulate, you know? And I think the, uh, the steward got the idea that we were actually off of rice and beans. And I looked up at Dan and he said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know what, Dan? Truth of the matter was, I was sick of fucking rice and beans. <laughs> I didn't I just I just wanted to have one meal with no rice and beans. So I told a lie to Ray Facto, with the intention that the steward would overhear it and think that he had fumbled his calm lines, and of course Dan was a missionary right from LRH who had ordered him to put everybody on rice and beans. So I did that. I basically implicated the, the chief steward in my desire not to have any more rice and beans. I actually did that. That was me who did it. And he, he sat back and smiled and said, thank you very much, Mark, for telling me about that. And I said, well, you're very welcome. <laughs> I, said, I definitely feel better having gotten it off. And he said, actually, I knew about it that day. I said you you knew that how did you know I said well uh, because when I heard that the the second sitting had missed their rice and beans I called the steward over here he came over and and apologized and said you know Schreffler was in the kitchen last night talking to his friend Facto and said that you know the the pilot had been taken off the beans and I thought there was just a foul up in the communication system sir and and so I didn't fix him for the first sitting and he said, So I, I actually knew you'd committed that overt
3: <laughs>
2: uh, the day you did it. And I said, Well, why didn't you why didn't you say anything about it? <laughs> and he said, Sharaf, you're the most upstat student I've got. You've always got a video to LRH. You're running the video line. You're here later than anybody else. <clears throat> you're you're being nothing but helpful. I just thought it was a kind of a it was just the act of a pirate. I thought it took some cheek. So, so he said, I just laughed it off. I thought, oh, that's just Shreffler. But he said, had I known that it was going to keep you from getting an LRH pass, I'd have busted your ass off. But the truth is, you know, you know that was, that was totally okay with me. You were totally upset. And that's the policy I was applying. So that was the story. The fact is, this was, this was a video where I felt a little tiny, tiny tingling of doubt uh-huh. because of that overt. And then I went. And he said, "Go in and cut another video." And I went in and cut that video. Now, at the end of that video, I know my TRs are in. I don't need LRH to tell me my TRs are in. I, that that is perfect. That was a perfect session. And I walked out of there, and I went across the street, and I booked my plane ticket home. And uh, two days later, the the thing came back and said, uh, "Okay, Shrap, this is a pass. Well done, love, Ron." And uh, but but I knew it was a pass. Ron acknowledging it was definitely fantastic, but it was like you're you're acknowledging something that you're being acknowledged for something that you already know. Uh I didn't need anybody else. To acknowledge that my TRs were in. I, I just didn't need it. So that was the story of the TRs pilot.